From TriTank Experimental Laboratory, this is the TriTank Podcast, where we talk about all things related to innovation in the church. I'm Father Lorenz Labrija. Thank you for joining us. Hey everyone, it's Father Lorenzo. Welcome to the podcast today. This is the Tritank Podcast, episode 13 on clergy well-being. And if you're saying to yourself, whoa, hold on a second, didn't you already do clergy well-being? Well, this is the follow-up. Back then we were introducing the experiment that we were going to be doing, and now we'll be talking to the experiment managers to more or less tell you what happened. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about our guests who were the experiment managers on this. The first one is the Reverend Rachel Field. She is an Episcopal priest living, as she puts it, on a small hillside along with mosses, strawberries, cows, pigs, chickens, ducks, beavers, and ravens, which on Sunday sounds just like here in Los Angeles. She spends much of her time wandering the neighborhood with her horses, and she is also the co-owner of Hartberry Hollow Farm and Forest in Randolph, Vermont, and the Earth Liturgist for the Retreat House at Hillsboro. So her ministry focuses on around imagining and facilitating places of connection between people people and the sacred earth, which is why she was so perfect for this experiment, wasn't it? And our other guest is the Reverend Mo Lederman. She is from Connecticut, uh, which she had written down for that she's a native nutmegger, which I was like, oh, is that one of the Harry Potter thingies? Uh, and she's like, no, that just means you're from Connecticut. So she serves throughout the Episcopal Church in Connecticut. Currently, she's a diocesan consultant working with newly ordained clergy. She leads retreats for parish groups and vestries. So if you recall the episode where we talked about this experiment, what we wanted to do was figure out how we can tr sort of intervene and help uh, particularly recently uh, ordained clergy. And in today's podcast, we'll be talking about how did the experiment go. Uh, but, you know, it's important that we talk uh, a little bit, as we will, about the layers of, of jobs, the different masks, if you will, that, that priests have to wear by being a priest in today's world. It's not just your, the country parson, as it were. We'll also be talking about the need for some systemic changes. Um, in fact, one of the, I don't know if this will be controversial or not, but Rachel says in one of her quotes, she says that the system is not designed for wellness, but rather for production. I don't actually think that that's very controversial. She is, I think, spot on. We we often forget that this, this work uh, takes a toll on us. So we'll be also spending some time on the big questions that newly ordained clergy have and that they bring to their job and how important that is. So it's a Great podcast. I commend it to you. It references a couple of other things. So make sure you check out the, the show notes where you can see some of those, or you can always just find everything at tritech.org. So enjoy the podcast. Rachel Mo, welcome to the podcast. We're so glad you're with us again. Oh, thanks for having Thank us. You. Yeah. So for those who may, I don't know why anyone would not read the TriTech newsletter or have listened to the previous podcast about what we're, what this, this experiment was. Sure. Uh, let's talk a little bit about being with clergy, uh, as, as not so much the results and what came out of it, but just as a whole. How would you explain it? If, what's the elevator pitch? If I were in an elevator uh, and you had 30 seconds to tell me what this experiment was about. I, I think I would say that essentially, um, 
Younger clergy are moving into a new church, and we don't know always what that landscape is, and they face an incredible number of challenges as being um, the clergy leaders in those church. And um, one of the things that get sacrificed is sort of their spiritual time and faith time, and mm-hmm. this is the time to really connect young clergy who are sharing a lot of the same issues um, and joys and excitements and and frustrations and giving them time to really dwell with each other and dwell with God. Excellent. Mm. Um, and by the way, that was Mo. So that <laughs> those who were just listening, you can tell the voices apart. Now, Rachel, do you want to talk a little bit about the the framework of the program was being with? We've had a podcast on being with. We've had James with us. Mm. Um, how would you describe it in, in this setting? Yeah, thank you, Lorenzo. I, for me, what stood out about the being with program in this setting is that um, Oftentimes when I've been in, you know, newly ordained clergy groups or whatever through the diocese, you know, here's how to run a vestry. Here's how to do this. Oh, no. What happens if your boiler breaks? Who do you call? And the answer is always first call your bishop. You know, like this always like, well, maybe not with the boiler, but for most other things. I was going to say the bishop Um, fixes fixes boilers. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Um, but, but in this setting, it was it, the focus really was, as as Mo talked about, the focus really was, let's think about who I am, who each of us are as people with a relationship with Jesus. Um, we'll spend most of the time in a contemplative conversation practice that's highly structured. Um, so it takes away a lot of that pressure of filling up space or trying to come up with words because it's so structured. So what we noticed is it really allowed people to speak from a deeper place and a place of more vulnerability than they might ha- they might do in say in the diocesan office when they're talking about how effective or ineffective their vestry is. Um, it just had a different. We started from a different place of vulnerability, um, and I just to foreshadow the conversation a little bit. You know, I think that was hugely impactful. And it was why this experiment, I, I think, ultimately is so successful, because it allowed people to come in as people first and clergy second. Awesome. And um, now, now let me step in here a little bit and talk a little bit of why Tritank thought this was a, a worthy experiment. As well mentioned, there is so much that is thrown at young clergy when they first come in. And we, we particularly were looking for younger people who had been recently ordained and we wanted to to particularly talk about them because what we're seeing is that there's a large number of them that are leaving the ministry, that they mm-hmm. come in and they're unable to fulfill their their aspirations or vocational aspiration with it as they were tra- as they had envisioned it, or, or or so many reasons, right? That the amount of work, the number of churches that that are that are sort of coming together to do this work, uh, you know, it, it, there are fewer and fewer full time jobs available for clergy. There, as mm-hmm. as 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 Rachel mentioned, the boiler does go, and that's who gets the call. Is is, and mm-hmm. you're like, but I'm here to be your spiritual guide, <laughs> not necessarily to 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 go fix the boiler, but I guess I have to. And and all of that gets thrown at them. And I think, as if though that weren't enough, there's the issue of loneliness. There's the yeah. issue that you're mm-hmm. usually the only paid staff in that yep. congregation. When you consider the fact that out of our almost 6,000 congregations in the Episcopal Church, uh, the major- the vast majority of them, 85% have 80, uh, 100 or fewer people on a Sunday, 85% of them. And of those, 
uh, we had 1,730 that had 29 or fewer people on a Sunday. So you're looking mm-hmm. at smaller congregations. Mm-hmm. You're looking at congregations with 12 people. Uh, you know, so th- when you're when you're the only employee and everything mm-hmm. sort of ends up on your plate, and you also are called to be in relationship with whatever number of people that you have in your congregation, it's a lot that's thrown at you. And so mm-hmm. there's, there's been this burning out. There's been this 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 just lack. And so when you consider the fact that the number of priests that are retiring is about 200 more per year than the number of priests that are entering the ministry, coupled with the fact Mm -hmm. that even if they do enter Mm -hmm. the ministry within a certain number of years, because of all these stressors, they end up leaving the ministry, we have a problem, right? Uh, We have, Mm -hmm. and that's what this experiment was aiming to do. Uh, As Rachel uh, sort of told us a little bit, it was a success. So let's talk yeah, about yeah. this. Uh, it was 10, uh, the program was 10 weeks. How did you, how, what yeah. were the logistics oh, of the, either one of you who wants to talk months. about this? 10 yeah. months, sorry. Yeah, it was yeah, monthly with months. you. What and, were the logistics of the of the program? And I'd love to just jump in real quick, Lorenzo, um, before we get into that, if I may. Um, uh, one thing that you said, that there's an added layer, I think, and why we focused on young clergy mm-hmm. um, is because a lot of times, in in the congregations, you know, you you probably know this more than I do. What's our our average age of parishioners in our in our congregations? Yeah, it's yeah. it's it, it, each and every mm-hmm. year it's skewing older. The last number I saw was yeah. in the upper fifties. I think we're pretty much into the sixties now. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So you get that dynamic when you're a clergy person coming in in your late twenties mm-hmm. or early thirties that the people in the pews are old enough to be your parents. And so there can be a lot of that sort of transference and that just sort of a lot of unresolved stuff that people have between their kids and their parents. And a lot of times <laughs> that shows up in the relationship. I mean, allegedly, I've heard. I have no idea what that means. But my parents <laughs> no, we hear. Uh, I'm obviously like, neither. None, none of us three here people have experienced this in our own lives mm-hmm. or seen it. So firsthand, but, totally. but we hear. Totally. Well, and, <laughs> no, and that was okay when you were the curate, right? So when you were the curate and you were sort of the associate priest who was learning, it was kind of okay if you were the daughter or granddaughter, grandchild of someone, and they kind of just wanted to love on you. But when you are the priest, it really does Mm -hmm. um, create a really interesting (laughs) dynamic and, and trying to find, you know, how do we share ministry together and how do we relate with one another? Any church that doesn't function the way it used to is yeah. just so, um, it's so complicated. Um, yeah. yeah. And that brings up, yeah. by the way, that yet even another layer. Maybe we're just, yeah. we're going to spend the whole time here talking about the layers. <laughs> because that does bring up to another layer. Not only are are you having to deal with more congregations, more people, all the problems, you're lonely, you you have the age disparity, you have uh, all of the, and the church is changing at such a rapid pace. So yeah. uh, yeah. the things that you were probably trained on in seminary, the things that you've tried uh, that worked in the 1950s will not work now. And, and the so, things that even worked in 2000. Yeah, I mean, really, it's, it's, it's not that long ago. I mean, I've seen in my, you know, 20 years or so, such a tremendous change in how church has worked and functioned. And, um, and so the parishioners are really experiencing whiplash and grief, and mm-hmm. uh, and then that comes out on to the clergy people and a lot of uncertainty. Like, okay, we were mm-hmm. full time, now we're at quarter time. Oh my mm-hmm. gosh! Yeah, 
Yeah. yeah. So it, even, even though we mean, can't yeah. see them and we're recording this before people are even listening to it, mm-hmm. I am sure that right now in cars or on, on gym treadmills, there's a lot of heads bobbing saying, yeah, yeah. Amen, <laughs> Mo. You're absolutely right. This is exactly where, where <laughs> we're at. All right. So now we've laid this, this groundwork. This is mm-hmm. why we did it. Yes. And we know that this works. So let's talk a little bit about the, the sort of technical details of it. How did it work? How did you, someone who's never seen it, how did it work for you all? Um, yeah, so we, uh, so over the 10 months, we met with our group. We we did it on Zoom because it was a national program. Um, and so we were, um, you know, trying to get everyone together. We met for an hour and a half. Uh, and we kind of took turns leading the different parts of the program. You know, every week we, Rachel and I would get together beforehand and decide who was going to do what part. Um, and the beauty was it allowed for, I think, three things to happen. One was, you know, the question, what is the heart of your week allowed just people to check in Mm. with each other and deep things happened in those moments. Um, Mm -hmm. really beautiful, deep sharing. Um, the next was sort of these wondering questions where no crosstalk was allowed. So we, you'd give a wondering. The first one is, I wonder if you've ever been in jail or have ever been imprisoned. Um, and so, you know, it, it, it brings you to this deep place immediately. And it's very, um, it gives everybody a chance to really listen to one another without response. Mm-hmm. And then the finals, the storytelling with the response, and, and there was a lot of beautiful just crosstalk and theological imagining and, and building of community in that time. Um, so yeah. Excellent. Yeah. And, and we were pretty intentional alongside of that because I mean, part of the assumptions that we brought into this experiment were the more we were able to connect with people and with each other, the 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 more resilient our clergy can be. And that we we didn't come up with that ourselves. That's been shown in article after article. So we also Mo and I both offered individual conversation sessions with each participant. So we had three over the course of the program. Um, we also had a, a spiritual well being index that we asked mm-hmm. participants to take at the beginning and the same one again at the end so that we could just sort of get a, a bit of a, I guess they would call it a control or a baseline for, okay, a how baseline, are people yeah. coming into this and how are they coming out? And we're recording this right after wrapping up our last session and it's a clergy and it's January. So those final <laughs> ones are still trickling in. <laughs> oh, but, we can't uh, tell you but, the end. <laughs> yeah, so... To be continued. <laughs> but, the, but, the but individual you can, meetings are really helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And oh, you yeah. can oh, sort of see just from the conversations you've been having with people that were part of the group. How many people were in the group overall? How many total? We had 12 who signed up. Mm-hmm. Um, and one and thing how many that finished? we learned, we ended up having about five consistently by the end. So, that's, mm-hmm. we, I mean, it was a 10-month program. We ended yeah. right after Christmas. So, and, and keep in mind, there. Yeah. Although, just because they were in this program, uh, in this experiment, mm-hmm. didn't take away all those layers we talked about a moment ago. Those layers were still there pulling at them, oh, right? Yeah. And, and right. But 100%. I think it, make, it makes the exceptional point yet again that even when they are trying to do something to literally combat. Yeah the things that they've had to give up in because of being pulled in so many directions, even then 
yeah. they're still being pulled in so many directions that they had to eventually walk away from the thing that was mm-hmm. supposed to be good for them. You would find your quarter-time and half-time priests emailing in and going, I'm so sorry, you know, somebody's in the hospital or someone has passed away or this has happened in the parish and I have to go attend. I will try to be there as much as I can. So, you know, we we call it quarter time, we call it half time, but really it's all just full time. Um, yeah. It's quarter time or half time pay. That's all that, right. that, that means. Right. The, the, people mm-hmm. still need you when they need you. And yeah. it is, <laughs> I can't, you know, I, just because you're working quarter time, that, that would be 10 hours a week, which I don't know, just yes. from all the administrative stuff mm-hmm. that people are doing, I don't know what else there is to do. Uh, I don't know how you plan a sermon, yeah. how you actually enter into a relationship with people when you do that. But the, it, people don't end up dying, you know, during those 10 hours that you, you're supposed to be on or going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. They, they don't plan their accident, mm-hmm. you know, when when their clergy person is, is working. Yeah. So it's uh, certainly the, the need is there. But anecdotally speaking, the ones that did make it all the way to the end. Uh, yeah. Tell me about what you saw, just as as other members of the clergy, uh, as, as as other spiritual people and, and mm-hmm. followers of Jesus. What what did you see in in those people? I think for me, I mean, one thing I noticed, um, and Mo, I know the ability oh, to be honest. Sorry, no, go ahead. <laughs> go for it, Mo. No, go for it, Mo. Sorry, I've got a lag. Okay, I was just saying. Um, I think, yeah, you might be on a little lag over there. Um, so uh, Vermont Internet, what can you do? Yeah, rule of Vermont uh, is you, you get what you get. Yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I was just saying that um, that for me, it was the connection and the honesty, um, the ability to come in. And it, I think maybe because it wasn't a quote unquote diocesan program, you could be just really vulnerable and honest and say, this is where I'm feeling. This is where I am lonely. This is where I have questions. Um, and to be able to see other people in the room going through the same thing. Um, so that building of community, I think, was really beautiful. And and watching people through that vulnerability continue to return to faith. I think our faith always happens communally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is true for clergy. And yet as clergy, we are often so isolated from that kind of very um, intentional peer faith relationship. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Rachel, what would you yeah, add to I, that? I would add to that. Um, I I was looking in the group for a difference between part-time and full-time clergy. Um, I actually don't think that there was a clear trend between like the only people who continued in the cohort were the full-time clergy. That's happened before when Mo and I have worked with clergy groups. It's like, oh, we look around, it's like, oh, these are all the full-time clergy. But that didn't happen this time. It, the, the the most consistent factor that I could see was the people who were actively involved in some type of discernment. That could be, am I staying in this parish or am I going to a different parish? But it could also be, Am I staying in this priesthood? I mean, we had a couple folks in the cohort who were actively discerning whether or not they should stay in the priesthood. Um, mm. And th- to yeah. me, that was like, this is why we're doing this. Um, and I think all of the people in the cohort have chosen through, a, through the, really, we walk, it was a 10 month process that we were walking through them. And we really watched this thing play out over all 10 months. All of, all of the ones in the in our cohort this time have chosen to stay in. That hasn't been the case for other programs that Mel and I have run for clergy. 
we've had other conversations yeah. um, and other retreat program, retreat-based programs in which we've walked with clergy people and we've had at least two choose to leave um, ministry. Yeah. So I, I don't think we have quite enough data to say like, we can prove that being with keeps recently ordained young clergy <laughs> from leaving the ministry. Like we have two data points, but I think we do have an indication at least that mm-hmm. the the desire for this deep discernment um, and the and a yeah. platform in which to do it, where there are no repercussions and there's the possibility for vulnerability, has a, a positive impact and of high value for for young yeah. clergy to, in spaces to where the, young clergy. Yeah. No. To that point, uh, do you think that it made a difference that it was that they weren't all like local clergy that you knew, right? That they or that they weren't all locally like oh, this is going to get. There's no way if I'm meeting with you know seven people that are <laughs> YouTube plus the five priests, right? There's no way that this doesn't get back to my bishop. There's no way that uh, that the, yeah. this this remains here. I do you think that made a difference? Um, I think there's trust levels. I mean, I think if it's like um, a program where the diocese puts you together because you are in a region. And you don't necessarily know each other or have that. I would say that some of the people who were in our program were fairly local to each other, but they already had sort of a a connected, trusted relationship with one another. Or it was people who were in completely other dioceses. So, you know, they they didn't have Mm -hmm. to worry about things as directly getting back to their bishop. So it not being a mandated thing, I think, changes some Mm -hmm. of that. Um, yeah, similar to what Mo is noticing, um, I actually had a, a really fascinating conversation with a woman here in central Vermont who used to be the union organizer for her, for the elementary school where she taught. And she said, you know, it was just sort of, everybody knows that if you have an administrator in the room from the school board, the conversation is going to be different. And I was like, yeah, yeah that's kind mm-hmm. of, like if it's a diocesan program, even if and, you know, I've been in diocesan programs for new clergy, and I don't think anyone was taking notes and giving it to the bishop. Who's got time for that? Literally <laughs> nobody has time for that. But um, but just there is that a little bit of guardedness, at least that I had, mm. that I could see in this group where it was like, oh, mm. uh, maybe these people, I don't have something in common with them. And I don't know if I'm safe to be vulnerable here because there's that... Um, diocesan structure that comes along with it which which, we we have weird stuff with authority (laughs) well and i think for me but (laughs) no but i think that's especially true for newer clergy right like if you are new clergy you've just had this authoritative structure where they literally you know you might have spent three to five years on a process who knows where they are slowly deciding if you are good enough so you're always going to have that reaction when you see them particularly if you are new and you still you know care and want to you know have a lovely job and a lovely relationship with your bishop and the other staff at the diocese you you there is an authoritative structure there that kind of gets in the way um that can be released Mm -hmm. and i think though you're right the fact that it was you know all people who opted in and all people from different places where you could kind of trust the process that really helped a lot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I want to say one thing about the process, uh, because I, I read something that Sam Wells, the, the, the vicar in London who together with Sally, uh, Hitchner, I think it's her last name, wrote the being with program. Uh, he, 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 it was, a he wrote a, I don't know if you call it an essay, but he just wrote a short little thing, 
about how it's it's all it's almost a eucharistic process in that mm. we bring our stories and those are the gifts as if though we were at the table they come into an encounter with god through scripture as they do in in, in church and they are returned to us these stories as something different something mm. more valuable something that 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 alters and changes our mind and our lives by it and you're like Absolutely. That is the whole point of, of a Eucharistic sort of theology that, that can be outside of just bread and, and wine, which, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I love that, you know, the Eucharist, but that, that it can also happen in other ways, that, that God is not to be mm-hmm. limited, that, that, that God can, can show up in so many, so many varied and wonderful ways, and that this is just one of those ways. So uh, for those who, who might be listening to this thinking, how is this different than like a fresh start other than the obvious thing we just talked about right now, which is it is not just within your own diocese. So you feel a, a certain and two, I guess, which mode you alluded to, which is you're not being forced to be there. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. 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 But the content what else is, also, is different? Yeah. 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 I think, Rachel, you talked talk. about content before. Um, you want to yeah. say more about yeah. that? Yeah, um, because because the focus of the programs is. I mean, you start with what is the heart of your week? And then we kind of all get this opportunity to look at this story together um, and have and then share about how that story is working on your own heart and your soul and your spirit. Um, The focus is not on the role of being a clergy person. In my experience in Fresh Start programs, the focus of the program is what is this thing that you are that is called a clergy person, which is is important to examine. Like, that's good to sit with. We need that. And all of those questions about like, what is my role and how do I show up are on one level, ego questions. So mm-hmm. this program gets below that posture and it's, you no, know, who are you as a human being in relation mm-hmm. to Christ? And if we're offering you this story and the stories are, long but mm-hmm. compelling mm-hmm. and very theologically rich so you put a whole bunch of like it to me it brought to mind some of my favorite parts of seminary where i just had the opportunity to walk around the halls and just have like the most obscure theological conversations <laughs> about stuff that literally nobody else is ever going to think about but in that <laughs> moment it was capital v very capital i important um, yeah, absolutely. It felt a little bit like that in a fun way, um, and that's that. That definitely felt. I never experienced. Yeah, that that I think the program being written for all of God's children, you know, really makes a huge difference. It isn't. While we did talk a lot about what it was to be clergy, particularly in the what is the heart of your week, although it could be anything. You could talk about family. You could talk about you know you got a new car, whatever it was that was the heart yeah. of your week, but. A lot of times that was a good chance to to talk about being clergy, but the focus of the program was not that. It was about being God's child and what does it mean to be God's child and how are we connecting with other children of God in a deeply theological and intentional way. That's one of the things I really like about the Being With yeah. program is that it comes, uh, it meets people sort of where they are and with the, not only assumption, but I think also just sort of the knowledge that whether you realize it or not, God has been active in your life and has been working mm-hmm. in your life. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, uh, it's an opportunity, I think, for us to sit down 
and to to recognize this. Like, oh my God, yeah. God has been here this whole time. I, the the one that you mentioned about have you ever? I remember the uh, the the being with program. Uh, I think it's the first week, or, or mm-hmm. in your case, the first month, which talks about have you ever felt released from something? Right? Mm-hmm. Have you been in jail? Felt released? Mm-hmm. And some people mm-hmm. talked about. I remember when I first went to AA and I felt released from mm-hmm. that burden that mm-hmm. was on me or when I first came out of the closet and that mm-hmm. just gave me this freedom. And then when you go into the story a little bit later and it talks about how God freed God's people through the story of Exodus and then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, so <laughs> yeah. maybe God was freeing me in mm-hmm. that thing. And it, it doesn't actually get that explicit sort of until like the, the sixth meeting. And, and yeah. it, But it's, it's just a beautiful way that it it it, it encourages you as a person to <laughs> to to be looking at the movements of God's spirit in in your life which which mm-hmm. especially for priests uh, yeah. I'm curious from the priests who participated is there any indication of what their spiritual lives were like uh before and if there was any change uh afterwards and and what what I mean by spiritual lives I mean like yeah. their own own prayer lives their own sort of spirituality um uh, you know I think some of that is it's tricky. I, I think it's so easy for clergy um, to go down that slippery slope of like doing the work and not doing the praying and the sitting and the listening and the the being with. Um, and so I think there's a guess for me that because of their loneliness and isolation, especially if you did come from a real seminary where you know you you do worship together all the time you have this beloved beautiful community and then all of a sudden it drops off and you're in charge of it somewhere else um and alone uh and so i think you know i i'm going to hedge a guess here that many were probably not praying the way they would like to um mm. i get that it's really hard to pray without other people. You know, no, people it, it say totally to you, is. "Oh, I do the the daily office by myself." I always think, "Oh, wow, that's that's impressive." I, I you know, I need other people in the room praying with me, and that's Corporate hard to prayer find. Is beautiful, it's a, it's a, it is, and it, it does feel different. Mm-hmm. Our 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 office of the hours are meant to be prayed in community. I just want mm-hmm. to say one thing uh, for that person that is currently writing that email, when Mo said real seminary, I think the intent mm. was at residential seminary. I'm now. sorry. That is entirely <laughs> what I meant. Any I, other, I <laughs> that any other residential house, you know, living study, together with exactly. one another. I think you can more have traditional more than more real, traditional, uh, but, yeah. um, you can have beautiful seminary lots of way, but I, that, that living presence where you're praying together twice a day, um, yeah. in the so same. I knew what you were saying. I just wanted to make Thank sure for that. I appreciate that. I, I, I know <laughs> Oh, that person put down the, stop typing right now you can send them all to me oh. <laughs> um so if it, let's say that you're in um there's two things here i think that uh, that i think we, we we can talk a little bit about one is if you are a clergy person in a community and you're like i'm sort of feeling this way and i may not be five years or less into my ministry but i'm i'm feeling it and this is real for me as well what do we say to them how do we how can we support them? What's what what might be next for them? And two, I mm. think the realization for even clergy people, as as Mo mentioned earlier, that this is made for all of God's children. Uh, if 
would you recommend this also for someone to do it in their own cl- in their own parish with with people in their own parish who who may not be strangers? And this is why I'm asking the question. Obviously, I'm for it because I'm a big proponent of the being with program. But how would you say to someone? You, you ju- we just talked for a little bit about how being strangers made it easier to be vulnerable. Is it? What do you think about people that are actually uh, already sitting in the pew next to each other uh, and them taking a the program? Mm-hmm. So let's go to the well, priestly question um, first. Mm, I, I have I have definitely a response for that one that's coming up from me, Lorenzo. Um, I would say that to, mm, it, to me, I don't understand how one couldn't have those kinds of big questions about, oh, crap, what have I gotten myself into, kind of given the 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 cultural stuff that we're moving in now given the systemic changes that are coming in the church especially as a young person all the things we mentioned before and this pressure that okay now you're in a parish and either explicitly or implicitly you have to keep it floating and be the next thing that fixes and saves the parish all at the same time and you're going to do it at 10 hours a week um i think that's something that happens a lot so of course it feels overwhelming um and then you know if you add on two parishes it's one of those where like one plus one does not equal two it equals four or five so now you're managing all these things the system that we're working in is not designed for wellness um i i firmly believe that um this might be where I get angry letters from bishops, but I, I don't think the system <laughs> that we're working in as we've, as we've inherited is designed for wellness. Um, I think it's designed for production because we move in a capitalist system. Um, and spirituality to me inherently resists production. So one thing I would encourage, and I'm trying to hold this commitment in myself, is um, to let it be okay to just show up in the space without an agenda instead of, and m- maybe that involves writing it in the planner. Like maybe that involves making a block or clicking a button and saying, this is my four hour block that is just for being present to whatever walks through the door. That's it. And at the end I leave and that was it. Um, but again, even that puts all of the onus on the person who's in the place of stress. To, to take the initiative. So, um, yeah, so I think we need it. I think we need deep systemic change is really the only way to start shifting it. But <laughs> in terms of what I would say to individual, just to try to keep sane while going about it is like, yeah, of course, all those normal quote, normal things like your therapist, your spiritual director, try to find a colleague group. Like that's the lifeboat in the crazy ocean. Um, and the ocean we're in is crazy right now. So, um, until we get a systemic change, we're sort of just in it together. That's my very sad. Getting <laughs> ready for Ash Wednesday. Here we go. <laughs> That's my hopeful and, statement. And 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 I think you know worth adding to that. If you're listening to this podcast and you yourself are feeling a little bit overwhelmed, or, or you wholeheartedly agree with Rachel that the system is not designed for wellness, but rather is designed for production. And you're, you're in that spot right now. Here's something you can do. Very practical. I like mm-hmm. practical stuff here on this mm-hmm. podcast is 
reach out to your candidate of the ordinary, reach out mm-hmm. to your bishop, uh, and let them know, first of all, that you might be feeling this, that that's, that I don't know how, mm-hmm. what your relationship is like, but also forward them this podcast, share them with, with them that this program is out there, that this is something that they can do in their own diocese. Uh, yeah. This is mm-hmm. something where priests getting together and being vulnerable with each other. Just, I think it, it, hopefully will take us back to that moment when we first said yes. And I don't mean mm-hmm. yes, like to when the bishop's about to ordain us, <laughs> but to that yes, when we finally said, okay, Lord, you've been you've been sort of knocking at the door of my heart for a while now to want me to say mm-hmm. it, and I'm finally going to say yes. I'm, I'm mm-hmm. going to follow this. This mm-hmm. is before the commission on ministry. This is before all that. This is the most, in some cases, the most naive, yet the most, beautiful and heartfelt yes that a priest can can ever can mm-hmm. ever give which is that first yes that we give to god mm-hmm. it is still pristine it has not been tainted it has not been touched by any other human and in their, their wonderfulness trying to do well in the world that they end up messing it up for people whatever it might be this is this is literally where you and your creator have been having this conversation for however long and you finally said yes i think this program mm-hmm. allows us to reach mm-hmm. back to sort of that point which yeah. is why what you saw from those two priests that said, you know what, I'm not done here yet. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that they'll, they'll never yeah. leave the priesthood. Sure. I'm just saying for them to be able to get to a point where they said, I'm not done quite yet. Yeah. And I think it's that peer-to-peer relationship. I mean, it, it's really important that it is peer-to-peer. It is relational. It is, I am not alone in this. I think loneliness is mm-hmm. just we talked about it before, but the biggest factor in a lot of your clergy thinking that it might be time to move on, um, mm-hmm. whether they're not connecting with their parishioners or they're not connecting with each other. Yeah. yeah. And the second part of my question was mm-hmm. about, uh, could a priest bring it in and do it for, oh, I yeah. would not suggest perhaps, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I would not suggest that a priest be part of a group with their parishioners. I'm not mm. sure that... Mm that mm-hmm. the, the power dynamics that are involved there, I'm not sure that, you know, saying what's at the heart of my, I, I just think that you would never be able to be fully open with us. Like Mrs. Johnson. Yeah. You who's right here on the group with me, you just <laughs> drove me crazy. And that was at the heart of my week this week. I just don't know that that would go over <laughs> quite, quite as, quite as well. Um, uh, but mm-hmm. I do think that priests could, could offer this program because I, I think it would, oh, still, yeah. it, it would help us as Christians. Right. Oh, I, I know I've thought about doing this, um, but actually over, you know, parishes that are local with each other. So kind of getting a few mm-hmm. parishes together, and that kind of mixes up the space a little bit, um, might mix up what clergy may or may not be in a room any particular moment as well. Um, but yeah, as a way to connect with one another, um, I, I, oh, I wholeheartedly think you could bring this to a parish. I think it would be beautiful in a parish and help that parish grow deeply spiritually. Um, you definitely would want them whoever is leading it to be well trained in what they're yeah. doing yeah, yeah. um mm-hmm. and there are to... trainings all the time uh there uh, are if you, if you want to know more about the being with program uh you can listen to the podcast that i did with james fawcett the the head of mm-hmm. being with program from the uk a uh, wonderful person you can also just go to being uh, hyphen with.org or just reach out to us here at Tritank. We're big proponents of this, and we can get you set up with that and get you set up with the training. I I just realized the time we are way over time. So this is where our conversation is going to have to end for today. Rachel and Mo, thank you so much for for joining us today. Uh, it, it's it's been a pleasure doing this, not not just this conversation, but this whole experiment with you and just seeing how it progressed 
and how it moved along. So thanks for, for joining us in, in experimenting. And thanks for joining us for this conversation. All right. Thank you thank so you, much. Lorenzo. This has been lovely. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe and be sure to leave a review. To learn more about Tritank, visit tritank.org. Be sure to sign up for our monthly newsletter where you can keep up with all of our experiments. The Tritank Podcast is a production of Tritank in association with Resonate Media. Tritank is a joint venture between Virginia Theological Seminary and General Theological Seminary. Again, thanks for joining us. I'm Father Lorenzo Labrija. Until next time, may God bless you. Do you have something to say? Are there people who want or need to hear from you? Have you always wanted to start a podcast but don't know where to start? Welcome to Resonate Media, where our mission is to amplify you. At Resonate Media, we focus on helping underrepresented voices and aspiring podcasters get started by providing equipment, expertise, and experience to help you launch a podcast. To get started, visit ResonateMediaPro.com. Don't let the confusion, complications, and costs of posting, recording, editing, and distribution hold you back. The world needs to hear what you have to say. Resonate Media can help your voice be heard.